As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Okay, calm down. What in the ham fat is going on with you guys? Nine to noon. Now, wh what, did, what did I do wrong? You like that? Just listen. Personal foul. Clipping. Personal foul. P.A. Mm. Good stuff. Hashtag Faith Radio. Yes! Here we go! One day in the neighborhood. Welcome to FM 100.3 KFAN and the Love Covenant. Chris Finch is coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves in a playoff series against the Memphis Grizzlies, all tied to two. Got another one tomorrow night, and Chris joins us now. Uh, Mr. Finch, Coach Finch, how about this 2-2 meat grinder with Memphis? I mean, <laughs> you looked exhausted just after midnight Saturday when I watched the press conference. Yeah, I was exhausted. I had, you know, I, I didn't sleep a whole lot. I haven't slept a whole lot through the series and certainly didn't sleep a lot between games three and four. Um, with the late start and the long game, you know, we were walking out of there about 1230 at night. But uh, most importantly, we were walking out with a win. So that's what matters most. You and your assistants um, are family. And, and when it's intense like this, is everybody just constantly talking about plays and new ways to attack guys? And, and, and that must be so stimulating if that's the case. It is. I mean, we're in, you know, we, the playoffs are all about, you know, you make these, you watch the film, you make these adjustments, you come up with a million ideas, one of them, which might be the key to helping you, um, you know, change your fortunes in the next game. You, you know, we spend a lot of time together, kind of a bunker like mentality. Uh, which we love. Uh, yesterday was, you know, we have a we have a two day break in between games. So yesterday in this series, we were actually able to take kind of a complete off day, which I think would be great for our players and our staff just to get away from all the familiarity that you 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 know you, that breeds in a series. Like just kind of that can be. There's two things that really wear on you in a series. One is, you know, it's just you're so familiar. You just everything just becomes so hard because of that. And then two, it's just like you play and then you wait and you wait and you wait to play because you know what you kind of want to do differently soon thereafter the game, whether it be the next morning or, 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 or even the night before, but you just have to wait to put it in play and you got to wait to see what they're going to do. And that waiting can be just as draining as the actual play. So, so you almost have to force yourself to not think about it, which basically is impossible right now for a head coach and, <laughs> yes. and, and assistants. I mean, specifically when you guys are family, because now you're always uh, texting and like walking down hotel room halls and like banging on a door saying, Chris, I know you like to run passing game this way, but I have a novel idea that uh, one, one that would make uh, the inventor of basketball impressed. And then you got to go through that. It just never stops, right? It doesn't, and it, but it's great. That's like that's why you have a staff. That's why you have a, um, 
you know, they, their, their ideas, their, their, their role is to generate as many ideas as we, as they could possibly bring to the table. It's my job to sift through them and see what, like, what might work, what might not work. And we don't always have the chance, chance or the time to, to explain to each other why we're not going to do something. <laughs> but, you know, our guys just kind of roll with it. They don't want to get defended and, you know, just again, it might be one or two things in a, in a series that really change things around. And, you know, not everybody sees the game the same way. So that's why it's better to have multiple perspectives. That that That's so important, not only with players. Like, I mean, like Beverly is so anim- animated on the court and he'll be moving guys around and stuff. And, you know, then you got you and your coaches. It, it, when, when it's as hot as it is now. If like people come up with ideas and it doesn't necessarily mesh with what you want to do, and they get offended, I mean that then that could set you back a little bit. It just it it has to be a covenant of collaboration and cohesiveness and an understanding that not everything needs to be taken personally, right? Yeah, we we say that right up front. You know, in, in the beginning of the season, we tell everybody, our players included, like. We don't have all the answers. We're welcome and open to ideas. If we don't use your idea, don't take it personally. You know, um, we kind of know what we want, what we're trying to do. We have a philosophy. We have a, a system. We have a game plan, whatever it might be. Um, that forms the backbone. But we're always open to learn and deviate. And uh, But, yeah, like a lot of ideas, for whatever reason, you may not – maybe great ideas. Maybe we just aren't able to accomplish it with our personnel or the way that we – um, you know, go about playing the game. Maybe we just don't have that. Uh, you know, it'd be great if you, you know, to use a football analogy, if you wanted to come out and be the New England Patriots and only throw it three times on a windy Monday night. But if you don't have a guy who, if you don't have a guy who can actually run it for you enough, like, you know, you, you're not going to be a successful doing that what? either. So while well, in theory, it might be great, you know, executing it's a different thing. What would you do if somebody came up and said, Chris, look, I swear, if we get Vanderbilt on the on the low block right, he can execute that sky hook like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, I'd give him a sobriety test. <laughs> that would be the first. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Finch, coach of, the, uh, uh, coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, nine to noon. Chris, Chris, am I missing something? Does does and and if I'm missing something here, I apologize. Does Carl not yeah. like Jaron Jackson? I mean. He, he roars down the key on him like a new school Tom Chambers. <laughs> uh, Tom Chambers, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, when, when in a series, nobody likes each other, and that's part of that familiarity I was talking about. It's just, you know, that's why you see things flare up in these series because just going against the same people all the time. Um, you know, I think Cats had a. Um, you know, he's had a, uh, emotional series to say the least. He got a great game one. You know, he, they did a great job of neutralizing him in two, two and three. And then four, he came back with a vengeance. So we expect more of that. Now, um, now that you got that pay bump, you think, uh, you think you'll unleash on the refs the way Jenkins did? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I like my money. I try to keep it. I probably got more technical. I, I probably got more technicals. Uh, you know, I'd rather spend that two grand down at the ponies. So, you know. Wait, wait, Jake, for for ta- for dropping the arrogance bomb, it, it's the fine was only two grand. I haven't seen the fine. Oh no, no, no! I'm talking about just a technical. A technical oh. costs you two grand. So, <laughs> it, but I don't, I don't know. I haven't. Seen, I don't think they've issued a, a, a statement on him yet. Uh, Chris, which which way do you think that Jenkins rant goes tomorrow night? Like, 
bottom and, and bottom line, your guys can't freak out. You know, like if there's a 50-50 call that goes against them. See, you know, he ranted after the game, and look what's happening. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's obviously super strategic by Taylor. Um, I'm sure he felt that that's, you know, uh, how the game unfolded for them. We've all been in those situations. But you're right. It's about – it's going to be, uh, you know, it's a game five. It's basically like a three-game series now. And you, you get one in the books, it's, you know, you're halfway home. So – it's going to be a, a, a real fist fight. It's going to be physical. Um, you know, they're going to be amped up. There's no doubt about it. And we got to maintain our poise and composure through it all. And uh, we're just going to have to be ready to take all their punches early um, and then fight back. My man, uh, you always say it starts and stops with Morant and, and the penetration. You, you said it after Saturday night's win. So, so are there missed assignments with Bain because Jaw is such a threat? Well, you know, I mean, this is like there are there are there's not necessarily missed assignments. Um, you know, we could be a little better, and we were much better in the second half of closing out and covering ground to get to him. Um, but you know, you got to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is John Morant. And if, you know, if that means like you're going to get you're not stopping everybody. Uh, it's just not going to happen. It's really hard to do. Um, and particularly when you have a guy like Moran who has such gravity on the floor and the ability to, like, live in your paint, and that creates opportunities for everybody. So, yeah, we got to do it. Certainly got to do a better job. Um, and he's done a really good job of trying to find Bane. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're continuing to make small adjustments as it go, as things go along. Um, we did so at halftime the other day. He only got one three. That was the one at the end of the game that was pretty meaningless. And um, so guys were really, really good at uh, you know finding him and being mindful to where he was. When 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 Bain shot that that three um, at um, or that three was taken at the end of game four, you're up by four, so it, it, it's hit to make it a one. But then like ants creeping up on him. I mean, you're you're a coach 100% of the day. Are you like, no, stay away. Stay away. The four-point yeah. play. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, those are parts of our, like, learning and maturity. Just have to be better in those situations. So when we get together today, we're going to talk a lot about end-of-game stuff. But, um, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's uh, definitely – don't want to put yourself in that risky spot. You think? Um, you think with D'Angelo? I mean, he had that one game where he scored a bunch, but I mean, his passing—he's the best passer on your team. It's not even close, in my opinion. But yeah, may, maybe D'Lo just ain't going to score big consistently in this series. I mean, maybe, maybe that's just one of those series. How do you see it? Yeah, it very well could be the case. And we talked about that as a team the other day after Game Three. Like, you know, it's not about anybody's. Um, individual performances at this point in time. It's not about anyone trying to get in there, get their game going. It's about, you know, what, what's the series, you know, allowing us to do? What's, what are they, I mean, they're obviously going to load up and take away certain things, whether it be ants penetration or cat with, you know, sending multiple bodies at them. And, I, and the analogy I use, like if you're, gonna, if you're Barry Bonds and they're going to put you on first base, like you got to take first base. It's going to help us out throughout the rest of the lineup. Like there's nothing that there's no there's no shame in that. Like just take your walk and then be great on the base pass. What um uh, what got into Vanderbilt the last couple of games? I mean he's been terrific. Well, yeah, uh, well you know me 
I mean, I played him. I, I played him like 10 minutes uh, in game two um, because I was trying to change the complexion of the floor with them doubling cat and stuff like that. We're trying to create a little bit more space. Um, you know, we've done this at different times. Sometimes it's worked. Lately it hasn't. And I just made, after game two, I just made a commitment. I was like, I'm, you know, we're just a better team when he's on the floor. Um, and for a variety of reasons, but yes, it makes it hard at times if they don't want to guard him, honestly, but he does a great job on the offensive glass. Of course, he's an excellent defender, um, you know, rebounder, physicality, great length, all those things makes, makes kind of emotional plays for us, which is huge. And, you know, I just, I'm just like, Silly me for not playing him more in game two. He, I mean, it is fair to say, I mean, he is young, like like the majority of your team, yeah. but I mean, he, he really feeds off that home crowd, doesn't he? Oh, for sure he does. Yeah, he does. I mean, he, I mean, they feed off him too because he's making like plays out of nothing sometimes, you know, a great block or a steal, gets in the open floor, gets a dunk, runs from behind in transition, you know, just kind of makes stuff when we happen when we need it most. Tillman up to most young, most. So oh, sorry, guys. Because you know most young players play well at home. That's you know that's part of the deal too. Like just the absolute killers play well on the road, but most young guys play well at home. So. Yeah, beautifully said. And and Xavier Tillman, he's one of those energy guys who burns teams at home. I mean, at least at least that's the that's the mo at this yeah. stage of his career. Uh, did do you need to be wary of him? Game five, Xavier Tillman. Yes, we do. I mean, they've you know any they, they've hurt us with their uh, with their bigs, um, you know, on the glass in particular. Now, some of that's been aided by you know cat's foul trouble when we haven't been able to get the matchups we would like to neutralize some of their size in there and physicality. Um, but nonetheless, like this series kind of maps out if we do a great job on our defensive glass and are able to kind of keep them off the offensive glass, like we've been successful when. When we uh, can't do that, I mean, we talked, well, there's a lot of things that went into our 21-point meltdown the other night, a 25-point meltdown the other night, but the reality is, like, they had 17 second-chance points in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's, I mean, tough for any team to survive, no matter what you're doing or not doing at the other end of the floor, no matter what you're doing in pick-and-roll defense or not doing in pick-and-roll defense. If they throw the ball up there and get it back, that's a pretty efficient offensive uh, um, possession, and they did that a lot in the fourth quarter. Speaking of that game, lastly, um, any any yeah. any high school, college, or snarky Philly friends tease you about those timeouts <laughs> to kind of break the ice? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I've got a lot. Yeah, I got a lot of lot of comments, you know, good and bad about it. Um, you know, uh, looking back, you know, obviously should have t- taken the timeouts. Um, you know that. That's easy to say now, um, but uh, you know it, it was you know it was a mistake, and you know but there's no guarantee that a timeout stops a run. What stops a run is a basket or a stop. You know what stops a run is putting multiple good possessions together. Um, you know we just we, we just weren't able to do that um, anywhere throughout that point in time. In time, but. You know, some losses are going to just stick with you a lot longer than others, Paul. You know, that's just how it is. And that's, you know, that's the we're in this business because we are highly competitive and we are driven by the emotion of the sport. And 
Sometimes it goes against you, and you just wear it for a long, long time. I, I was thinking about you the next day. Like, say you had a friend of Vinny from Broad Street or something texting you, like, <laughs> hey, "Hey, buddy, you saving saving those timeouts for the Eagles? I mean, they, they don't play till September." You know, just like friends jabbing at each other, trying to break the ice, so like you laugh or something, you know? Yeah. Well, Philly friends don't have much of a great sense of humor, so uh, <laughs> a lot of middle finger emojis. Um, all right, bud. Good luck tomorrow night. Keep everybody healthy. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yep. See you. Chris Finch, coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Kick ass tomorrow night, man. Great job. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Chris's uh, inclusion is courtesy of TimberTech and TimberTech.com. And what's on deck 9 to noon? All hubble through the first hour. And hit us up with that talkback feature. The flyest advancement in talk radio since the invention of Barrero. Or at least that's what they tell me. Talk out some NFL players for the draft. In the middle, we're going to do that at about 10.15 with with the Ballyhooed hit or stay. And uh, then the columnist, Lavelli Neal III, erstwhile wobble from the Star Tribune. He'll be here at 11 o'clock. But um, the free iHeartRadio app, Talk Back Now, go on and get on it. And uh, you jump on that TalkBack app, and uh, we will drop them in uh, if the opportunity presents itself. Is Carl Anthony Towns detrimental to our howl-loving mental health? Talk and talk back about that next. 9 to noon at KFAN, your cash thing later. The Fan and NMC Exteriors, they're trying to put a grand in your hand. It's the National Cash Contest. All you got to do, head to KFAN.com, put in the keyword FUN for your shot at winning $1,000. Go to KFAN.com, simply enter the word FUN, and you might put a grand in your hand. Good luck. The Fan. And programming on The Fan, brought to you in part by Cars for Kids. Sits his way to the rim and gets the and one. Unbelievable move by Carl Anthony Towns. So all five starters for the Grizzlies have three fouls, and Edwards has three more points. Anthony Edwards trying to match Desmond Bain. Brooks. Good D like D-Lo that time. And he frustrates Brooks into a turnover. Vanderbilt running the floor gets the stop. Towns will fire. And Like John Morant, and guys need help, and he does a really good job of that. McLaughlin got it to go. We knew it was going to be a fight. We knew the series was going to be a fight. We knew it wasn't going to be a quick one. Oh. <laughs> Anthony Edwards, not afraid of the moment. Beverly to the corner, McLaughlin, you bet!
One thing we've always talked about, especially playing against Memphis, uh, just continuing our pace uh, throughout the whole game and not slowing up. And then, uh, you know, just rebounding, rebounding in transition. That's kind of been our focal points for this whole year. In game four, Memphis a 2-1 series lead. Edwards on the attack. Lefty lays. Good. What a finish from Anthony Edwards. He's really focused. He was angry. The goal today was to come in and play pissed and loose. And I thought our guys did that. Right after the 17-1 Minnesota run. Edwards will fire. And hit a big one. Minnesota Timberwolves, John Morant, Desmond Bain, and the Memphis Grizz first. Hey, listen closely if you get the opportunity. And I know it's a Monday, and I know you're all busy, and we're, like, getting caught up from the weekend and setting up the week and everything, but, but listen closely, please. Grizzlies Vox, Eric Hasseltine, joins next segment. And about 13 minutes from now, he's the play-by-play voice for the Grizz, in studio Friday for the Power Forward Feast. And he's been on the radio show. This will be the third or fourth time since we started this series against his beloved Grizz. Here's the deal. Please leave us a few talkback questions or comments. Nine to noon can fire at the Grizzlies' box about 12 minutes from now. Talk back, iHeartRadio app, talk trash now. And um, if we get some, we'll fire like, I don't know, three or four at him. If uh, if you have some pertinent questions or you want to talk a little trash to the Vox of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine, that's next segment. It's about, uh, now it's 11 minutes from now. iHeart talk back. Get after some questions for the Vox, Eric Hasseltine. And um, we are on a short notice with that. So uh, jump on in there if you get the opportunity. And uh, Mad Producer Eric Nordquist, the master mixer of that baby's Monday morning montage, back on my feet again. Uh, he will disperse them as um, as he sees fit. Carl Anthony Towns works on people's anxiety and emotions and hearts. He He, I mean, it's like, think back to the conversation with the Power Forward Feast Friday off what we saw Thursday. He ain't it on a Thursday. I mean, and that that trickles into into a Friday. It's like I think the way I put it during the feast was if if you're Jimmy the Bulldog or if you're a constituent, a cohort, uh, a, a peer around the National Basketball Association and you formulated an opinion about the former number one overall pick in a draft, you're like watching going, he ain't it. I've always known he ain't it. He ain't it. And then he hits two big free throws to seal the Saturday night win to tie the series, and he's all about being it. <laughs> and 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 Carl comes out firing with a three and some mean mugs after he t- tries to dunk on Jaron Jackson for like the ninth time this series, channeling his inner his inner Darnell Hillman, Larry Nance. Dr. Duncanstein or Tom Chambers and just mean mugging everybody, as the kids would say. 
throws the ball to the Grizz. But 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 see, then the the emotional wherewithal, or at times lack thereof, or Carl Anthony Towns legitimately at times working on people's anxiety and emotions and hearts. It's topsy turvy this relationship with with the cat who sometimes is a kitty, but when he purrs like a cat, he hits threes. So you got you got the Tom Chambers act, mean mug and Jaron Jackson, who eventually fouls out of the game because he's a kid at a time. And then on the other side of it, we got Cat throwing the ball to the Grizz a couple of times. Here come the Grizzlies. They got a three on two. It's an odd man rush. Bain pulls up for three and is good. And it cuts the lead. And then Cat's like, what happened? Mother. Talk back open for this Wolf series. Free IR radio app. Talk back now. But bravo Carl Anthony Towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves. This bad boy's all tied at two, and game five is over there Tuesday night. I mean, it's wow. It's a howl. Wow. Howl. Finch said, you just heard it uh, during the uh, Monday morning montage uh, and or after the game. Head coach said Carl was angry at a lot of different things, but not in a way he was distracted. I thought that was a pertinent point and a take formulated by the head coach right after the game. Carl was angry at a lot of different things, but this time it wasn't in a way that distracted him and led to him and or his team deteriorating. Said he kept his emotions in check. Baby steps. You know, it's, it's, it's like a life of loathing or loving Carl Anthony Towns, baby steps are required. Because I'm, main man just works on my slash our anxiety, the emotions, the topsy-turvy nature of the heart, while pulling for the team to win. Carl is becoming cousins-like polarizing by the game. And he's been around here longer than Kirk. And, you know, they played, uh, just as series go with games, about the, uh, about the same amount of playoff games and or series. But they're in the same fishbowl. They're just under different rocks. And Carl Anthony Towns, for this local sports market, is becoming cousins-like polarizing by the game. Do most find themselves pulling for Carl or expecting him to fail in the biggest spots. Do most listening right now following the how do they find them? Do you find yourselves pulling for Carl, which I hope you do because it's it, 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 Carl aids your favorite team or a local sports team, obviously advancing, but do you find yourselves pulling for him or expecting him to fail in the biggest of spots? Talk back on that. Jump on that talk, talk back. With a cat dance. <laughs> Going to get on that talk back with a cat dance. Verbally speaking. Free IR radio app talk back now. We'll get more into this at 10 o'clock. 65 free throws. And a game that ended right around 110 Eastern. I mean, seriously. A, a, a professional sporting event that begins in the neighborhood of nine cornfields. Rolls into like one ten in the morning Eastern, largely due to those sixty-five free throws that one ten Eastern man is just so 
dumb. Start the bad boy on NBA TV or like or like Oxygen or We or one of those weird NCAA tournament channels at 8.15. We're going to find it or whatever. But a game ending in the NYC, a market you want to win at 110 in the morning, that ain't cool. Those free throws, we'll get into that about 10 o'clock. When we return, Timberwolves play-by-play voice Eric Hasseltine offers his thoughts. Hopefully we got some talkbacks to fire at him. And uh, we'll do all that around the corner. On the fan. servant here how much confidence do you have in brandon clark at the free throw line because wait till chris finch unleashes heck of brandon clark and puts his ass on the free throw line 12 times next game hey box eric hassel time paul allen what's going on what's happening dude we uh we we opened up the uh the talk back iHeartRadio radio app talk back now to um to have yeah. wolves fans and our uh, local sports fans ask you some questions yeah. or maybe offer up some comments. And uh, the civil servant, Johnny Kay, uh, the East Sider, had the first one. Uh, what do you think of Brandon Clark's free throw shooting? And what if we unfurl like hack a BC or, or hack a Clark <laughs> with game number five? What do you think of that, Mr. Vox? Well, game three was great. Game four, not so much. He's been a little spotty this year, uh, which is surprising because his rookie year, he was good. His second year, it went down. He's about 65, 70%. Hey, look, man, I'll take, you give me someone, you know, the hack of thing has always been interesting to me because you're trying to get guys basically to shoot 50%. Uh, and if you think about it, if you put a guy on the line four times and he makes two, well, that's basically if you had two possessions and unless you're just in a lights out three point shooting team, which the Grizzlies can be, cannot be. Um, that's like shooting 50% from the field because you're getting one out of two possessions, you're getting two points. So um, sometimes that backfires, but I, I I think that would take Brandon out of the lane, and I think his ability to, to score in the paint is, is something that's really helped the Grizzlies at times when we're not playing, you know, your basic three-hour basketball games because there's 9,000 fouls and, and millions of free throws. How about that, man? I mean, like 65 65- Sixty-five fouls in that game. I'm gonna, you know, yeah, uh, Jenkins. I don't know what the fine's gonna be, but um, I mean, he that the 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 eviscerating of the offici- of the officiating and the verbal attack right after the game, specifically using the 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 word arrogant. It, it's yeah. it's as good as I've seen, and and you know there there a lot of the fouls had merit, and a lot of the players complain sure. in fifty fifty situations where hey that's just what they saw and you know how they're going to call it and how they did it. But uh, I'm curious to see what Taylor did and how it impacts tomorrow night's game. What do you think? Uh, I've I've been in these situations, and, and let me say it this way: that's not why per se the Grizzlies lost. Yes, there were missed calls, but I, I said multiple times that Minnesota's game plan was terrific. I mean, the the drive 
and recognizing a secondary defender committing too much to help. In fact, we were very critical of the defensive um, principles that the Grizzlies got out of that Minnesota took advantage of. Now, with that said, I've also in 25 years never seen five starters with two fouls with three minutes to go in the first quarter either. So that was pretty interesting. Um, I think when you see these situations, and I can recall one in particular um, where the Grizzlies were very upset after James Harden took scored over 25 points and made one field goal. In fact, I think uh, Elias said it only happened once before um, in modern basketball where he went to the line 27 times in a like post-Christmas Day game in Houston. And the game previously against the Rockets, the same lead official was there, and he went to the line 24 times. And so our head coach at the time said, yo, <laughs> this is a little odd, don't you think? And so the next game, I think you could have hit anybody with a sledgehammer and nothing was getting called. So there's that option yeah. um, because they, if you look at the numbers throughout the series for both teams, I mean, this has been three games now where it's just, okay, we're not here to see you three. We're here to see these guys play. And we're here to see two of the best offenses in the league get out and go. And it's not going to happen if you guys keep calling every little thing. And then you see what happens for both sides. They start getting frustrated because in the first eight minutes you've called if you sneeze the wrong way, somebody's getting a foul, possibly a flagrant. Um, and then in the in, in crunch times or critical moments, guys drive in, they get hit, and, and now guys are fouling out. I mean, I, I Towns drive to the basket. I did not think Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, really – I mean, first of all, the fact they reviewed it for a flagrant was laughable, although he hit the deck hard, so I'd rather err on the side of caution. But when you look back on it, it looks like he trips over his own – feet and in playoff basketball I, I looked at it I okay I can see where maybe you think he broke the plane of verticality but that's when I've seen in every other playoff game the referees are going you got to let that go and that fouls him out of the game and it, it impacts what happens and then you see guys just getting really frustrated when um, they don't get a call or something gets called on them that, that wasn't getting called earlier and so it's just got to be more consistent, but I think it goes both ways. It's not like the, the Grizzlies are the only team feeling a little sting of these whistles and feeling a sting of, hey, you know, like we're now we're not going to call anything and you're expecting to to get that call. And, and again, I, I thought that Minnesota took great advantage of the fact when the Grizzlies were in the penalty, they went into their bodies knowing that that whistle was coming, and then that's how they, they, they got rolling in the first quarter. Got a talk back for you, Mad Producer. It's Mike from Hastings. I have a couple questions for Hasseltine. Uh First, what happened to Jaws' productivity in that game? And two, why did uh, the Grizz stop doubling Cat late in the game? What do you think? Well, Max? I'm glad. I'm glad Mike and I are on last name basis, which is fantastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly fired up. About, no, I'm kidding. That's cool. I like when people do that. Uh, it gives that familiarity. Uh, his productivity was not good. If we want to start with, with John Moran, I thought he got into a mode of becoming more of a, you know, a, a passer than not just a facilitator, but an instigator of the offense where he can go downhill. And I think some of that is the physicality of the Wolves defense. I mean, look, let's, let's make no bones about it. Patrick Beverly's a two time, um, all NBA defensive team member, both first and second team, uh, one of each. And that you don't get that because you're, you're not good at defense. And so he's been that aggressor and that, you know, that, that, that physical presence. And then they've done a great job with that kind of, I call it the hybrid shell three, two, where 
you've got three guys at the top of the arc or around the arc, and they're just switching everything until you step inside that line and try to make a move, and then it just collapses, and it's they've played it really well. They really have. Um, so I think that's taken them out of rhythm. And I'm just to be honest with you, I don't, I, I couldn't figure it out to be I, to, to tell you the truth. I watched that game, and we're looking at each other on the broadcast, going, "He's got to start trying to score. He's got to stop trying to get in the air, and make the highlight real pass." And um, that that happened too much. The Grizzlies made some bad decisions. I think the physicality took them out of their rhythm, and and you know they felt like they weren't getting the whistles, so we're not going to try to drive it into the lane, and we're going to give it up, and that's that's on them. So. Um, and what was the second part again? Now I'm talking about jobs. They, um, they, they stopped doubling cat towards the end of the game. Cat, that's right. Um, you know, they were in foul trouble. And I think they felt like it, every one of their guys was there. And I, I think cat did a really good job of not allowing them to double. I mean, remember, he had a couple threes where he just got the ball and went and um, took advantage of the space. And uh, they did a good job doubling, I thought, in the last minute and a half but in that stretch where he got going he, he wasn't really giving them an opportunity a lot of that to me was more the wolves execution on the offensive end of good ball movement extra passing and if you go back and watch some of the highlights there there were several plays where i call it chasing your tail the grizzlies were running around the court like they were they were getting to you know trying to do anything to scramble for an extra scrap of food and the wolves just kept making them run and that's tough but yeah i think that a lot of that more was, was Towns being really good about not hesitating, not giving them that opportunity. When he got the ball, he knew what he wanted to do, and he didn't wait to do it. Um, and then I think a little bit more of it was foul trouble. And then the Grizzlies, when they were doubling, got caught a couple of times, and so maybe a little more hesitant. So a combination of all three of those things it seemed like to me. Talk back for the box. Hi, this is Kyle from Coon Rapids. Can you please complete these two phrases? The Timberwolves must do blank to win this series. And the second one is, the Grizzlies must do what to win this series? Thank you. Oh, well done. Well, great utilization of the talk back. Go ahead, go ahead, Eric. This is a phenomenal feature, by the way. <laughs> um, well, the Timberwolves must go to the loon and fill up on chili and, and uh. drinks before we play game five. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, for the Timberwolves, I think they, they've got to come in and, and come with that same fire they've had in the first quarter and try to neutralize the crowd to get game five. I think, in my opinion, to get game five means they put themselves in the driver's seat, obviously, but it's, it's going to be awfully tough, I think, to go into an environment here with the game seven. But they've shown they're not, they're not afraid of anything. So I think execution-wise, aside from the early energy and trying to neutralize the crowd, they've got to get Towns involved the way they did and one of the other scorers, whether it's Russell or Edwards, feed off of that as well. And then when you get a guy like Jordan McLaughlin to give you 16 off the bench that, that nobody's expecting, that's big. So they've got to match the bench scoring to me. They've got to stay with the Grizzlies, who were, were the number one rebounding team on the window, and then they win the three-point battle. The team that's winning the three-point battle is winning, are winning these games. Similar for the Grizzlies, if you want to go what they need to do, they've got to be as good as they were from the three-point line, and they were very good. It was the first loss of the year where they shot over 40% from three and lost the ball game. But they've got to neutralize two of the three leading scores for the Wolves and not forget about the other guy. And quite honestly, they've got to get production from DeAnthony Melton. Uh, aside from Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones, you know what you're getting. But when Melton doesn't give you a single point, that's a problem. With that said, the other thing we've talked about ad nauseum is, is stay out of foul trouble. When Jaron Jackson Jr. stays out of foul trouble – 
this team's just much, much better, and, and he's got to be more disciplined. And I was a little disappointed in that. When you pick up a foul early, and I thought the early foul on Jaron was a good call, you've got to be smarter. You've got to play. You can't, like, just olay the guy to the basket, but you can't try to, to go block everything in the sky either because you're going to inevitably pick up a foul. And I thought that's where Chris Finch was really smart with his team. Is they just kept coming at him. They're like, eventually you're going to get him. Eventually, if we keep going at him, you're going to get that second one on him. And then you, you put yourself in a position where one silly reach early in a second quarter gives you three and you're done. And um, it'll be interesting to see how Taylor Jenkins handles that. Chris Finch, we've seen roll the dice when guys have gotten three fouls in the second quarter. And you've heard Charles Barkley be very, um, you know, very critical of that. But I think at times it's that's it's worth the risk because hey look there's no more tomorrows there you got three games potentially between these two teams first to win two out of three is going on the next is is going home. Hey, uh, last one, Eric, and thanks thanks for all the time, man. I appreciate you. It's oh, Eric, Eric Castle, Eric Castleton, play by play voice for 18 years for the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and and I'm going to get into it a little bit next segment because I you know I I think I know what Taylor Jenkins means. And specifically over the years, talking about Carl Anthony Towns and and the officials and the refs, when 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 Jenk off everything you've seen, and when Jenkins talks about arrogant officials, like when it comes to arrogance with NBA refs, what what do you think he means, or what do you see? Well, to me, and what I see is when you have guys that make calls and aren't willing to even say, hey, this is what I saw, and hear it out, um, that can be a problem. I mean, look, it's an impossible game to officiate, Paul. There's no two ways about it. You're asking guys that are anywhere from 65 to 70, and you know, the youngest, I think, are in their early 30s, maybe late 20s, to run up and down a 94-foot court with the with the best athletes in the world, or some of the best athletes in the world, and keep up with them, and it's tough. And, and it's hard to see. It's so subjective. We were fortunate to uh, to run into Andy Fletcher, who was the crew chief of the Twins White Sox series, and happens to be a Memphis area native, and, and chat with him. And you know, he said, "Hey, baseball is just much easier. It's it's pretty cut and dry. You're either safe or you're out. It's you know, the balls and strikes are a little subjective, but there's no well, maybe he got him here, maybe he didn't. And so when your judgment's being questioned. Um, that's a hard thing. And so the arrogance is that they just didn't want to deal with anything. They, they kind of took control of that game. Um, I thought that the similar thing was in game two for both teams. I mean, game two, we saw 20 fouls and 33 free throws in the first quarter and it was a 41 minute quarter. And it's, it's not fun for anybody and it doesn't matter who's in front. Nobody's offense gets in rhythm that way. And, I think for Taylor Jenkins, what he's saying is like, look, one, every time you got challenged, you were wrong. Uh, two, you, you looked, you reviewed a call that you didn't make a, f- a foul call on, turned it over because yes, it was off of Jaron Jackson Jr., but if you look at the replay, when Jared Vanderbilt reached from behind, he hits nothing but his arm and the referee is right there. Mm. And then there were times where, I mean, it was instantaneous. The ball gets across half court maybe two dribbles, one pass, and we see a fa- uh, like a quick whistle. And just something like, like, hey, guys, this is the playoffs, and these guys are going to play, and they're going to be aggressive, and it's going to be hyped, and you're going to hear a lot of chatter. Like, let's not get that, let that get under our skin. And I, I don't want to speak for the crew. John Goble uh, is a longtime official. Bill Kennedy is a longtime official. Trey Maddox has been in there now for a while. But 
it just seemed like there were too many times where they they made a call and they just didn't even want to give an explanation. And that's hard to do in these situations because guys understand what's on the line. This is not a random Saturday night in Minneapolis where the Grizzlies are going to hop on a flight uh, the next morning and go to Salt Lake City and play the Jazz and continue a road trip. This is the playoffs, and this is where you know guys start really cementing their their legacies and, and where a lot of money's made. And so I, I'm a big believer. And at that point, as long as you're doing it respectfully, and obviously I wasn't the one speaking to them, then they, yeah, they, they can be questioned and they can say, Hey, this is what I saw. Or, you know, if you think you missed one, you missed one. But when you miss ones that are blatant right in front of you, both ways, mind you, I'm not saying this all went against the Grizzlies. There were ones where I on the air said, wow, I've, I'm shocked that they didn't, that the Grizzlies didn't get a foul there. And, and Chris Finch has every right to be upset. And that's why you're hearing the rest of the fans yell, refs, you suck. Um, and, and they're right on that one, uh, that, that you kind of owe it to that. And so the example that I got was one of the, Brevin Knight, who does our television and analysis, just, and then referees will do this a ton for TV guys because they want, on TV to give the explanation so it doesn't look like they're so they don't think they're just going to get eviscerated on the air by the broadcast group mainly I think and he asked John Goble he said hey so just out of curiosity you go to the replay it's clearly off of Jaron but in the pace of the action you see that there was a foul that you missed can you overturn that by calling a foul and I've been told two different things I've been told yes if it's in the flow of the play, I've been told, no, you're reviewing one thing and one thing only. So I don't want to say I'm an expert on this. But John Goble didn't even stop. He just looked over and just, like, screamed at Brevin, who's never uh, had a disrespectful moment on since he's been out of the league. He has, I'm sure, as a player. But he just looked over. He's, balls out of bounds, balls out of bounds, balls out of bounds, and just runs off. And I can tell you, I know for a fact, a lot of times officials will stop and go, hey, if the this is the – situation and i've had conversations with guys pregame i said hey i just have a question so we make sure we're not erroneous on the broadcast i don't even know if that's a word but it is now um what's this and they'll be happy to explain it to you and they tell you that when we have meetings with these guys and he just wouldn't do it so mm. i don't know if the the whole tensity you know the the the, the tension that was brought with the protesting and you know the fans and then the two teams jawing at each other I don't know if that got under that crew's skin or not, but it was a little different than, than I've seen in a while. Fox. Excellent, excellent work, not only here, but uh, calling these games. Get a chance to listen to them uh, uh, via another outlet. And uh, thank you very much for joining the show. I'll call you soon, okay? I look forward to it, my friend. Be good. Should be a fun one tomorrow night. See you, bud. Eric Hassel, time, play-by-play voice for the Memphis Grizzlies. You're listening.